Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So I just wasn't sure what what's this uh, for. So um, this is for a podcast I do called Black Sheep, which is about sort of um, villains of New Zealand history. But it's sort of it's not it's not really like we we, we like to avoid sort of the villain title too much because we do some sort of slightly more complex characters. Um, Robert Logan. Maybe isn't isn't one of those. Um, Robert Logan is not one of those. No, um... no. Um, but you know, we do a bit of a mix, like um, we did. Um... Kelda, I'm William Ray, and welcome to season two of Black Sheep. I wanted to play a blast of ACDC's Back in Black here, but it seemed a bit cliched, and to be honest, RNZ couldn't really afford the rights. Anyway, in case you're new to the series or you've forgotten, it has been almost a year since our last episode, Black Sheep looks at the history of the roguish, controversial, and sometimes straight-up villainous characters from New Zealand history. This episode is pretty much everything you've come to know and love from Black Sheep. Death, eugenics, colonialism, and abuse of power. We're in Samoa, November 4th, 1918. It's mid-morning and a ship's anchored in Apia Harbour. It's about as picturesque a scene as you can imagine. The ship's well known to the locals and dozens of them paddle out in canoes to welcome its arrival. Then one of the crew of the ship, a Samoan man, comes to the railing and shouts out to the crowd of boats. Translated to English, there's sickness in this boat. Anybody who goes to Apia, there's a place called Three Corners, which mo- everybody who comes in from the airport to Apia has to go through. And there's a big church, but behind it is a mass grave. Uh, and it has a monument on it. And uh, none of the occupants of the mass grave are, are named. And eyewitnesses at the time say that many of the people that went into that grave um, were not quite dead. But there's other graves, other mass graves throughout Apia, all unmarked. That's Mike Field. He's a New Zealand journalist and author of the book Black Saturday, New Zealand's Tragic Blunders in Samoa. The disease that filled the graves Mike mentioned is infamous, a virulent strain of a virus that's gone by many names over the years. The Naples soldier, the Spanish lady, swine flu, H1N1, or perhaps most famously, Spanish flu. Internationally, it's thought to have killed up to 100 million people, about 4% of the world's population. That's more than both world wars combined. But the outbreak in Samoa was particularly awful. It is truly horrific. And, you know, if, if we think, for instance, a comparison to New Zealand, I mean, New Zealand sees itself as hard hit by the influenza epidemic. It sees itself, still 100 years later, we commemorate the First World War. But if you combine the deaths of the First World War and the influenza epidemic that New Zealand suffered, it was 2% of the population. Samoa suffers between 22 and 25% mortality in just a few weeks. 
That's Damon Salesa, Associate Professor of Pacific Studies at Auckland University. Possibly the most horrific part in this story is the role New Zealand played in it, and particularly the actions of the callous military administrator who ruled Samoa from 1914 to 1918. But to understand his story, we need to go back further to look at how Samoa came to be under New Zealand's control in the first place. From the mid-1800s, there were a number of different empires, three really, that were competing for Samoa, the British, uh, the Americans and the Germans. And part of it was because of Samoa's central place in the Pacific, and particularly it was because of the growth of plantation interests in Samoa and the rise of the American and German navies which were contesting what had previously been kind of Britain's role as the the leading navy in the world. And it all came to kind of roost in Samoa, and in a very famous moment in 1889, you know, in in the harbour of Apia, which is barely a harbour because it's really a coral reef and it's quite small, there were actually seven warships from those three different empires in the harbour when very famously a, a hurricane came in and actually sunk all but one of those ships. So six ships sunk in a few hours in Apia. It wasn't just the big empires that wanted a slice of Samoa, though. New Zealand was also lobbying for control of our Pacific neighbour. New Zealand had always wanted Samoa, and unbelievably, when we think about it now, in the 1880s, 1890s, Vogel and people were saying that New Zealand has experienced, knows how to deal with Polynesian people. We have been such a glorious success with the Māori people of New Zealand that we as the little Britain of the South should be entrusted with the Pacific nations to run and to control. Um, and Britain was not persuaded, obviously. New Zealand's hopes were thwarted by a complex series of negotiations between the great powers in the late 1800s. It was decided that Samoa would be divided, Eastern Samoa went to the United States, while Germany was given control of Western Samoa. Samoans, of course, weren't given the option of self-rule. Isn't colonialism fun? But in 1914, with the outbreak of the First World War, New Zealand got its chance. The Germans had erected a radio tower near Apia, and there were fears it could be used to coordinate strikes on strategically vital trading routes between Britain and its colonies. New Zealand quickly volunteered to capture Western Samoa, despite having no idea of how they were going to do it. They had no charts, no appropriate charts. They had no idea what uh, armaments or weapons or forces were, were there. And there's naval officers in Devonport and Auckland fanning out across the city to find some Samoans, who were not that common in those days, in Auckland, to ask them about your harbour. I've always thought it was um, a remarkably brave but foolish endeavour because the German fleet would have consumed them in about 10 minutes. Luckily for the 1,400 New Zealand troops sailing for Samoa, the German fleet was busy elsewhere, and they managed to seize Apia with no contest. The man in charge of those forces is the main character in our story, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Logan. He's an extraordinarily obscure fellow, and yet responsible for... For a terrible disaster. He, at the time of war, he was 51. He, he, he was born in England. Um, he'd been emigrated out here and had been living in the Maniatoto as a sheep farmer. He then came to Auckland and became a colonel in the territorial force. How he got selected for the land command is not 
at all clear from the records. Well, he used to be a council chairman, didn't he? In, he in did, yes. And this was the thinking, I think, that they thought, well, you know, RP is not that big. Let's, let's send this chap up. Within a few months of landing, however, it was clear that Samoa wasn't going to be at the front lines of what was rapidly spiralling into a gigantic war. The German fleet had been sunk at the Battle of the Falkland Islands. The Germans weren't coming back. So most of the soldiers that had taken part in the landing were brought back to uh, New Zealand, and the bulk of them headed off to Gallipoli, including one of Logan's sons, who was killed at Gallipoli. Um, And I wonder myself as to whether these kind of things um, affect men's minds. Um, And Logan had found himself possibly wanting to be in the war, who knows, Instead, he was in a peaceful little place um, that had no particular uh, role in war, didn't require soldiers, um, and he was deeply unpopular with his men. Uh, famously, he um, abolished or uh, tried to introduce prohibition, which was in um, American Samoa, and the soldiers that were still there uh, rioted and threw rocks at, at Philema, where he was living, and suggested they were going to send him back to Maniatoto. It's hard not to feel a bit sorry for Logan, marooned in the South Pacific, mourning the loss of his son, and trying desperately to maintain some discipline among his men who didn't seem to want to have anything to do with him. But he undercuts that sympathy with his actions during the war, which included importing a virulent streak of racism. He had a particularly vicious attitude towards the indentured Chinese workers who had been brought to Samoa by German settlers to work on plantations. He banned Chinese men from entering Samoan people's houses in an effort to block mixed-race relationships. You know, we know that in New Zealand there was a poll tax just for the Chinese and, you know, there was a ban on Chinese women coming to New Zealand. And so when New Zealand gets up to Samoa, they um, inherit a larger population of Chinese people in Samoa than are in New Zealand. And so those anti-Asian, anti-Chinese sentiments come racing to the fore. And, you know, they have a particular kind of racism for Chinese that's different from the racism uh, to Samoans. So they want to protect, in their minds, Samoans from Chinese. And the way they do this is by imposing these really intimate and intrusive rules about who can sleep with who, um, which are commonplace in, in New Zealand and elsewhere, but you know, uh, obviously a problem if you only let men come. What are they supposed to do for the life of their work? They're not supposed to be intimate and loving with anyone. And so New Zealand has puts itself in a place where it's policing bedrooms and, and, and intimacy. And it's, you know, it's obviously a real problem in Samoa. They, they, they struggle to contain it because people are people. As for the Samoans themselves, they weren't overly concerned about race relations with the Chinese or with New Zealanders for that matter. No, and in Samoa, Afakasi, the half-castes, could become Matais, often were, and whatever was said by the authorities was actually countered by the reality that people were making love, having children. And it has to be said, too, that whilst the authority figures in New Zealand were against mixed-race sex... I was in my mid-twenties when I first arrived in Samoa. I was young and single, and I was surrounded by vast numbers, to my mind at the time, of young, beautiful, amusing, funny women. 
Well, the same thing happened to all those men that went from New Zealand. Um, cold showers didn't cut it in Samoa. So, with Chinese, Samoans and New Zealand soldiers alike all enthusiastically ignoring Logan's rules, he muddles through the war until its conclusion. And now we reach the final few months of 1918. The Taloon, the ship which brought influenza to Samoa, had been tied up at dock in Auckland right alongside a ship called the Niagara, which may or may not have been the ship which brought the disease to New Zealand in the first place. Several sick passengers boarded the Taloon for its voyage to Samoa, many believing they just had an ordinary case of the flu or a bad cold. Mike Field describes what happened. It sailed onto Apia, arriving in the morning. Many of the passengers are sick. The skipper and the first officer essentially lie. The New Zealand Port Health Authorities in Apia essentially turned a blind eye. And to cut a long story short, a girl called Ta'u was the first person to come ashore from that ship, and she was dead that night from influenza. There was a guy from the London Missionary Society who was there to collect some money from various churches. He walked the length of Opolo in the next couple of days. Uh, He claimed later that he thought he just had ordinary influenza, but it was influenza. And within a month, a quarter to a third of all Samoans died horribly. It's hard to imagine what it would have been like to be a Samoan living through those horrific weeks. One graphic description from an eyewitness was printed in the Samoan Observer. Every house was closed up with mats, and inside the gloom the suffering of the inmates was pitiable to behold. Some lay withering on the ground, some were found covered in mats, sweltering in agony beneath the coverings, others lay in silence. Here and there, a sheet of tapa cloth covered a form recumbent and still, indicating only too well that the foul disease had finished its work. Damon Salesa again. Yeah, we have no scale to understand, thank God, what this means to us. I mean, we will hopefully never live in a world where, you know, in the, in the course of just a few weeks between one in four and one in five people that we know die. And, you know, we can barely comprehend what that does to a society. You know, there are not enough people to bury the dead. There are not enough people to feed and care for the living. So many people died and so many were sick that Samoans were forced to abandon their custom, still deeply held today, of burying relatives near their family home. And mass graves were dug. There's a number of accounts written by New Zealand soldiers who were there who were made to uh, dig graves, these mass graves, the the famous one of Vaimea. And uh, Logan had imposed prohibition, but these men were writing about how they could only do the job, um, drunk essentially, Um, and they were... And various attempts were made by Logan and the missionaries to stop the grave diggers from drinking alcohol. Um, and the usual response was that the grave digger would pass his shovel to the missionary and say, get on with it yourself then. Most of the victims died from the pneumonia caused by the virus, but with most of the adult population laid low, 
many people also starved. In those days, Samoans simply um, grew taro, went fishing. There was not a vast stock. There was no refrigeration. So if you were unable to gather food, your prospects were a bit limited quite quickly. It was really like a, a brutal cyclone just sighed through the whole population, and it all happened in about a month. One of the things that always strikes me is that of the whaipule, or the what's equivalent to the parliament now, of the 30 whaipule, 24 of them die. So you lose a generation of leaders, you lose a generation of carers. So it is just absolute carnage. The scale of that carnage and the deaths of the Samoan leadership in particular still has an impact on Samoa today, a hundred years later. Much of Samoa's traditional knowledge at that point, and the titles, the land, everything, was not written down. It was sort of oral secret knowledge. And to this day, um, this is, remains an impediment in various lands and titles, court hearings in our peer. People don't know what happened before 1918. Um, their only reference book is a, is a German anthropologist or a pre-anthropologist, Kramer, who went through Samoa and recorded what he thought were all the various chiefly system of each village. Um, and you go to a court case in Samoa these days where so-and-so is arguing for the right to this particular Matai title and somebody's um, disagreeing with it, they always roll up with photocopies of Kramer's work. Robert Logan was on the other side of the island when the Taloon docked and took no part in the decision that allowed its passengers to disembark. The blame for that can largely be put on the ship's captain, who lied and said none of his passengers had an infectious disease, and on the New Zealand port authorities, who looked the other way when it was obvious some passengers were badly ill. But Logan's actions when the disease was raging through the islands were, in a word, deplorable. One incident was at the Papapuatu Girls Boarding School. When the school principal, a British missionary, asked for some meat to be sent to feed about 80 sick children in her care, Logan himself came up to the school to talk to her. Here's what he's reported to have said. I believe you have sent down this morning for meat. I wish to inform you that no meat will be given to you. I consider this the most disgraceful institution in Samoa, and I intend to inform your headquarters in London of that fact. Send them food. I'd rather see them burning in hell. There's a dead horse at your gate. Let them eat that. Great, fat, lazy, loafing creatures. Logan wrapped up this conversation by saying that if the principal didn't send 25 of the girls to help dig mass graves, he'd come back and burn the school down. Luckily, he didn't follow through on that threat. There was no cure for the 1918 influenza. The best that could be done was try to keep the victims comfortable. But Logan interfered with even these token efforts from doctors and nurses. And in one case, for instance, he stopped them actually assembling people in the hall where, where the doctor in question could deal with them um, at scale rather than sort of go from house to house. You know, so he consistently got in the way and, and impaired their ability to respond. You know, of course, whether that, that would have made much of a difference, of a difference is, is doubtful. But it would have made an enormous difference to how Samoans saw New Zealanders respond. Because 
you know, what they saw from Logan was simply that he appeared not to care. What's more, Logan managed to help spread the disease even further by failing to stop the Taloon from leaving Samoa. He knew quite quickly what had happened and could have stopped Taloon from going to Tonga and inflicting its disaster there. And then it returned to Fiji and the Fijians that had come on Taloon on the way up left the ship at that point and almost all of them had influenza and Fiji had a, a further disaster. It's hard to understand why Logan reacted so badly to the epidemic. Maybe simple incompetence. After all, he had no real experience in leadership beyond that one term as the council chairman in Maniatoto. But Logan's own words seem to suggest he had a deep contempt for Samoans, who he repeatedly described as childlike. Here's an example of his writing about the attitude of Samoans immediately after the epidemic. The introduction of influenza and the burying of the dead in a common grave has entirely changed their feeling. But this, I hope, is only temporary, and like children, they will get over it. There's a question we run into a lot when we're making this series. Are the people, the black sheep we talk about, truly bad people? Or are they just a product of their times? You know, I don't. I never quite buy, and we shouldn't buy, the people of their time argument. And every time we look at the key ideas of the time are contested. And the idea that everyone in the world was racist in 1918 is simply false. You know, if you look around the world, there's many, many Europeans who are actively working against racism. In terms of him, whether or not he was a particularly bad character, I think this revealed his character, the the influenza epidemic, you know, when you put people under stress, they often reveal things about themselves that, that are hidden at other times. He really was callous. He did value the lives of Europeans over Samoans, you know, by miles. In the aftermath of the epidemic, New Zealand held a Royal Commission of Inquiry. It found fault with the local port authorities and with the captain of the Taloon for allowing the disease to reach Samoa, but went comparatively light on Logan. About the worst sanction he got was the chair of the inquiry privately saying he was hopeless for want of tact. Logan was was quietly relieved of of his duties um, and he quickly left the scene, really. He he went back to England. He, He was briefly in New Zealand and... That was that. He he was gone and lived out the rest of his life um, with his with his second wife and two daughters. Um, made very little comment about what had happened. But while Logan was happy to forget Samoa, Samoa certainly didn't forget him. I think it's very clear in some of the letters from Logan's successors that they instantly see the change in the way Samoans see them. And, and Robert Tate, who takes over, Colonel Tate, who takes over from Logan, writes in one of his private letters, there's a stink here about New Zealand's name and we have earned it. And so I think New Zealand, the more sophisticated and empathetic New Zealand um, officials quickly realise they've done something that will harm New Zealand's reputation uh, for a long, long time. Opposition to New Zealand rule, and to German rule for that matter, predated the influenza epidemic under a movement called the Mao, which translates to resistance in Samoan. But after the epidemic, the Mao solidified into a major political force. Those mass graves in Samoa um, 
the biggest of them are right next to our pier at a place called Vaimosul. And Vaimosul is the headquarters and the centre of the Mao movement that opposes New Zealand's rule. And it is no accident that they build their headquarters right by the mass graves because that's one of the great wrongs they feel New Zealand committed um, against Samoans was the overseeing the, the mass mortality of, of the influenza epidemic. It wasn't the last great wrong New Zealand would commit in Samoa. On December 28, 1929, in an incident known as Black Saturday, New Zealand police, armed with high-powered rifles and machine guns, opened fire on a rowdy but largely peaceful rally in Apia. At least eight people were killed. But the Samoans never responded in kind. Right up until they gained independence in 1962, resistance was steadfastly peaceful, sometimes ridiculously so. I, I always liked the little story of 1928 when they tried to lock up all of the, the Mao and they, all of the Mao showed up to be arrested and there was way too many more people than they had space for in the jail. So they simply fenced off part of the Mulanu Peninsula on the western side of our pier and declared that a prison camp. But everybody could walk around the barbed wire at low tide. And um, there's generally hilarious stories of um, word getting around that breakfast at the prison was quite nice and lots of people would show up <laughs> for breakfast. Um, and the New Zealanders were just aghast at this thing. Well, what do you do with a group of people that have seen through you? You sort of point out that New Zealanders actually owe a big debt to the Samoans for not taking up arms at that point and drawing us into a very bloody guerrilla war. Totally. Um, had they chosen to do that, the, the nature of the South Pacific today would be completely different. And I think this is um, largely down to the excess of Christianity in Samoa. I don't think it's Gandhiite. I think it's um, that Samoans quite literally took... Um, the Bible of peace at its word and, and practised it. But what I also think is not only do we owe them a debt of thanks, we have the responsibility of knowing what happened because even today, although it doesn't happen much now, I've heard people say, why are Samoans in New Zealand? Um, why do they come here? And well, the, the truth of the matter is we went there and we took their country. Special thanks to Mike Field and Damon Salesa. In a couple of seconds, I'll give you a sneak peek at next week's Black Sheep. But first, a reminder, RNZ has a brand new app. And unlike our previous app, it's actually quite good. Just search RNZ app for Android or iOS and make sure to favourite Black Sheep so you don't miss a single episode. While you're doing that, you might also like to try out some other awesome RNZ podcasts. One of my favourite is Bang, an awesome series on sex, sexuality and relationships. Next week on Black Sheep, a shady story of power-hungry spies, mischievous hoaxes and gullible government ministers. If folks had just been taken in by, by Sidwas, he was grossly incompetent. But if the truth, which we are pretty sure, was worse than that, that he was using folks, I mean, well, that wasn't incompetence, that was downright dishonesty. False evidence, he was, he was promoting false evidence so that he could get more power. Black Sheep is written and presented by me, William Ray. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. Our sound engineer is Phil Benge.
Our voice actors were Duncan Smith and Moira Tuelaepa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.